messengers. You ever thought of yourself as one? Maybe, maybe not. Most of us have bought the lie that we live and we have a job and we raise a family and we die and that's it. I want to submit to you that uh, two of the people that we will look at in, in this series are lay people. They're not apostles. They're not called to be preachers. But they're lay people who simply allow God to use them in remarkable ways. When I look across this congregation, I, I see world changers. Some people know uh, who I am or who Stephen and Alex are. And some people will know who Mark is and some of our staff and a few of our people in the church. But I want you to understand that all of us are or can be world changers. Amen. You know, people ask, how do we do what we do? You know why we do it? Because we have a great servant spirit in this church. In a few weeks, we're going to have a candy fest and... And we're going to have hundreds of people volunteering just so we can give candy and love on kids and families. That doesn't happen without an attitude of wanting to make a difference in this world. We have hundreds of people that volunteer at Freedom Festival. We have 1,000 plus that volunteer on the movie sets. But there are world changers all around this room. And, and you're one, whether you know it or not by what you do, by the lives you touch, by the difference you make. Uh, I, I have two daughters. I, I consider them world changers. Maybe not on the level that some people would consider them, but I consider what Erin's doing in acting, and now she's been in like 10 movies. I, I, I consider her to be a world changer because she goes on set and shares her faith with people that have no relationship with God. If she wasn't doing that, they may, she may be the only witness some of them have. That's right. I consider Haley one because of her heart for orphans and her heart for adoption and those issues. I mean, that's, it's a passion. It's not just a casual interest. You know, I, I look at Jay and Emily, and they bring two kids from China. And I think they changed the world for two people. Who knows how they'll change the world? I look at the people that volunteer at Legacy Park and help kids that have no athletic ability at all <laughs> to learn to just enjoy sports, not to be obsessed with it. And they're making a difference. I get an email from a lady in another school that played our school in football and says, you know, we, we played your school and we saw Christ in some of those athletes because they'd, they'd pick them up and they'd say words to them and we saw the cross and, and basically the email said this, you don't just have the name Christian in your school, your kids are acting like it on the field. Amen. That's a good testimony. I see it with people that will stand outside in the cold and in the rain to try to help people get into the building. You say, well, I'm not doing anything big. That's not a big deal. You don't know who you're touching. 
you don't know who you're having influence over. I can tell you some of you that have been teaching in the children's ministry, and it feels like you've been there since the 18th century, you've been teaching there so long. But you are molding and making a generation. You are investing in them, and the Word of God does not return void. When Gideons go and give out Bibles, they are making a difference in this world because they can give you tens of thousands, millions more of testimonies of lives changed because somebody picked up a Bible in a hotel room or in a hospital or at a school. I can tell you people in a medical community who pray with their patients and who show the love of Jesus with people going through difficult times and they're making a difference. They're a world changer. And so I, I don't want you to see this series as something for somebody else. I want you to understand that as long as God gives you breath, you have the ability to make a difference in somebody's life, and you never know whose life you're going to make a difference in that's going to make a difference in 10 times more than you'll ever touch. Don't underestimate how God can use you. And don't underestimate the lives that you touch. And don't think that any act in the name of Jesus is insignificant. There, there are going to be some young men and women that are sitting right here in this section and some children like these guys and gals right here that God may call them to full-time ministry. They may end up somewhere in some part of the world that none of us ever go to and they'll make a difference. We're about to send a missionary to the unreached people of the Dutch people in Germany. We have Eric Reese in Brazil. If we can ever get him well and get him back home and get him back to what he loves and what he desires to do. We have people that get up at unholy hours to go feed homeless people in Albany. Hundreds of volunteer hours at the Coke plant just to get us in a position where we can do a better job of ministering there. So well, I'm not making much of a difference. I want to ask you a question. How different would Albany, Georgia be if we stopped all that? I think you are making a difference. You know, a guy like Dan Cathy's making a difference. You know, uh, my son-in-law is working at, at, at a Chick-fil-A in uh, Los Angeles, and the day of the protest, the owner of that Chick-fil-A is located on Hollywood Boulevard, right in the smack dab in the middle of Hollywood. And he said, just not to even offend them, he taped over the name Chick-fil-A to go give them cups of cold water in the name of Jesus. He said, God put me here to be a light. That's right. This guy just sells chicken. He said, God put me here to be a light. And he said, then we'd take trays out all day long of chicken nuggets. I said, did they eat them? He said, oh, yeah, they eat them. I said, so their hypocrisy knows no bounds. <laughs> I hate you people. Thank you for the chicken. <laughs> what sauces are available? <laughs> you know who world changers are? They're people who turn the other cheek. Yeah. 
World changers are people that go the second mile. World changers are ready, people who are ready for the moment when God raises them up to do something that they never thought God would use them to do. Now, I want you to think about Stephen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. I want you to turn there. I want you to think about Stephen. Here's a guy whose name doesn't even appear in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give us no record of the life of Stephen, and yet in the early birthing of the church, Stephen comes on the scene. He's a Hellenistic Jew. He doesn't primarily speak Aramaic. He would have spoken Greek. There's a problem in the church with the Hellenistic Jewish widows, and they need to be fed. And, and the disciples say, choose some men full of faith, wisdom, and the Holy Spirit. And one of the men they chose was Stephen. Apparently in this man who was probably a fairly young believer, there had been such a growth in him, such a development of faith in him that he was an obvious choice in a church that by this time had probably 10 to 15,000 members. In just a matter of a short few months, the church had exploded and they needed some help to get ministry done. And Stephen comes to the forefront. And he's a man full of faith, wisdom, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to pick up in verse 8, chapter 6 and verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen rose up and argued with Stephen, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words. Now, outside of Acts chapter 22 and verse 20, we find no other mention of Stephen. He's, his life is covered in these two chapters, chapter 6 and chapter 7. But what a life. And, and, and the five characteristics of his life are the five points of this message. That he was a man. Look at it if you will. In chapter 6 and verse 3, the first two are that he was full of the Spirit and wisdom. The, sec, the third is in verse 5, he was full of faith. And in last two are in verse 8, full of grace and power. Now, moms and dads, look at me for just a minute. That's what you ought to pray for your children and your grandchildren. Amen. That they would have those five characteristics. I want to tell you something. If your child had those five characteristics, they will be a world changer on a scale that you and I cannot even begin to imagine. So... Here's a man who's living out his, his life. He believes the promises of God. He has embraced Christ as his Lord and Savior. He has devoured himself into the life and breath of the church. He, he has a ministry heart. He has a servant heart. And God raised him to the moment. By the way, his name means crowned. And I, I want to submit to you that Stephen was crowned for two things. He was crowned for a ministry, and he was crowned for a moment. Now, the ministry was to serve the widows and to keep unity in the church, the role of a deacon. To serve widows and to keep unity in the church. But the moment 
was to teach people who Jesus really was. He was a man that was not power conscious. Uh, he was conscious of God's power. He wasn't like, you know, I mean, all of us have been in churches where there have been people that want power. This is not a man looking for power. But this is a man who walks in the power of God. He is others-centered. He has a servant heart. He's full of wisdom. And so let's just look at it. First of all, he was full of the Spirit. Because he was full of the Spirit, he was full of wisdom, faith, grace, and power. You have to be full of the Spirit first. That has to come first. Those other things are the afterglow of the life of the person full of the Spirit. God's Spirit didn't come on him to just help him wait on tables. God's Spirit came on him to live a life of fullness. Here's a man full of the Spirit. Now, here's, here's a thought, and I want you to write this down. We sometimes think that the Spirit-filled life is for deliverance from suffering when in fact it may be power in suffering. That's the life of Stephen. The Spirit-filled life is not deliverance from suffering and problems in spite of what many preachers say. They just don't read their Bible enough. The Spirit-filled life is power and freedom in suffering. Most of the world today is suffering that stands for Christ. They don't have the privileges and the opportunities that we do. Here's a man full of the Spirit who has allowed God to take control of his life. Now, that when it says that someone is full of the Spirit, and Ephesians tell us that we are to be filled with the Spirit, it's a command, not an option. It's not a feeling. It's an obedience to what God has told us to do. Here's a man full of the Spirit, ready for whatever moment that comes his way. That's why we need to be filled with the Spirit, because God is going to put us in situations where we are on our own not going to know what to do. And we're not going to know how to respond. And we're going to be weak, and we're going to buckle under the pressure, and we're going to cave in to the opposition. That's why we need to be full of the Spirit. We've not been, we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. That's what 1 Corinthians 6 says. So to be full of the Spirit, then I become full of wisdom. Look at it. Full of wisdom. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 in the Phillips translation reads this way. Yet from this same God you have received your standing in Christ Jesus, and he has become for us the true wisdom, a matter in practice of being made righteous and holy, in fact, of being redeemed. Now, you can say full of wisdom, you know, wisdom is one of the things that the Spirit of God gives us. But in the context of 1 Corinthians, uh, and in the context of this verse, here's what it means. The, it means wisdom linked to the Word of God. Our wisdom is not the wisdom of this world, that we're smart in the ways of this world. Our wisdom is linked to the Word of God, and using the Word of God wisely to bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
That's why Bible study is important. That's why we encourage you to get in a Bible study class. That's why you, you should study your Bible on a regular basis because wisdom comes by linking the Word of God to the call of God on your life. And all of us are called. Ephesians 1:17. Paul speaks of the spirit of wisdom and revelation, meaning that God gives us a spirit of discernment and insight that we would not have otherwise had we not had the Word of God. Remember, the Spirit being filled with the Holy Spirit, who's the author of the Word? The Spirit is the author of the Word. So the Spirit who wrote the Word gives us insights into the Word to know how to apply the Word and use the Word to bring people to Christ and to grow in our faith. He's full of wisdom. Now, now here's Stephen. There's 60 verses in this sermon. He, he preaches a sermon. He's not a religious leader. He's not trained in seminary. He hadn't been to a Bible college, but he knows his Bible. Now, I want you to just look at chapter 7, just kind of glance down it. First, there's three things he knew. First of all, he knew his Bible in general. He didn't sit up and say, you know, I bought a book at Lifeway the other day, and it said, or I heard a preacher say one day, and that preacher said, he knew his Bible. Not only did he know his Bible, he knew his Bible characters. Starting with Abraham, he goes all the way through the central figures of the Old Testament, pointing them toward Christ, that Christ was the promised Messiah. He didn't just know Bible characters. He didn't just know Bible stories. He knew Bible history. He knew the order of history. Basically, in 60 verses, Stephen summarizes Genesis to Malachi and puts Jesus right in the middle of it. You see, here's a man who knew the word. Paul Reese says, the Holy Spirit enlightens and directs those most easily and most surely who know their Bible most thoroughly. How do we have wisdom from the word? We teach our children to love the Word of God, to read, to study, to meditate on the Word of God. We stand on the authority of the Word of God, on the promises of God's Word. We obey the commands of God's Word. God's Word is the foundation that never gets rattled and never gets shaken. Now, you need to run from somebody that says they have wisdom from above, but it has no scriptural context. Because, you know, you have somebody come up and talk to you and say, well, God spoke to me. Well, what did he say? If it's not consistent with the Word of God, a text within a context, if they've just grabbed a verse and run with it out of its proper application and context, don't listen to them. Amen. That's not wisdom. That can be a form of deception. Because you can take a truth and just miss it by 10% and it's not a truth anymore. It's kind of like a political ad. So-and-so said so-and-so. Well, they took a comment out of context and they twisted the facts to their advantage, which politicians on all sides are excellent at doing. And if you know the whole truth, you'd probably find that most politicians have little wisdom but a lot of ability to lie to you to tell you what you want to hear. 
That's not wisdom. Wisdom is taking the Word of God, the revelation of God, in keeping with the Spirit of God and the Son of God. That's where we get wisdom. Then there's full of faith. This is how we respond. Now, once we have fullness of the Holy Spirit, and then we're full of wisdom, then we can be full of faith. Why? Because we're not acting on our own initiative. We're not acting in our own power. We're acting according to faith. Now, note two things about faith. First of all, faith receives. It receives. Faith takes God at his word. God has said it. He has not stuttered. If God said it, that settles it. You know, you know that old statement, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No, it settles it whether you believe it or not. The word of God endures forever. You see, faith receives and secondly, faith achieves. Faith achieves. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. That's what Hebrews 11 is about, is that people standing on the word of God, believing the promises of God, the hope that they had not yet seen, but they believed would come. Faith achieves great things because it steps out with God. Now, faith is taking your stand on God's word, taking your stand on God's promises, and taking your stand on the mission that God's given you. So, if I'm filled with the Spirit, then I'm filled with wisdom, I'm a student of the Word of God, and then I'm filled with faith, then I'm full of grace. Why? Because a person filled with the Spirit and a person filled with wisdom and a person filled with faith is not full of themselves. They're full of grace because, firstly, they know that they are recipients of that grace. You know, I'm saved by grace. It is by grace through faith. I'm saved by grace. And so when I see someone that's lost, I need to see them through the eyes of grace. God loved me when I was lost. God loved me when I was a sinner. God loved me when I didn't know the truth, when I didn't know the word, when I didn't understand the promises. God knew me and gave me grace to see and to know, to fill me with his spirit, to give me his wisdom. Now I need to show grace to other people. The gospel is a gospel of grace. Now remember, it, it says that when they looked at Stephen, his face was shining like an angel. You know why? He was full of grace. Now, grace does not mean that you ignore sin. Grace does not mean that you turn your head to sin and that you, you say compromise is okay. Grace says this is what God's law demands, and God has taken his own demands and put them on his son and put them to his account so that you could stand before God not guilty. Here's a man full of grace. Now, let's just think about this man for just a moment. He's got people scorning him. The religious leaders are scorning him. They're blaspheming him. They don't know what to do with what he's just said. They don't know how to respond to him. They're angry. They want to kill him. You know, I mean, if I'd been Stephen, I'd probably said, well, you know, just to heck with you. I'll just, I'll go take it somewhere else. But Stephen knew what they needed more than they knew what they needed. And so even at the risk of his own life, he showed grace. And by the way, 
He showed grace to people that didn't deserve it by the way they were acting toward him. He was full of grace, and then he was full of power. So you're full of the Spirit. When I'm full of the Spirit, I have the wisdom of God because of the Word of God. Then I have faith, then I have grace, and now power. You know, people want power. I mean, everybody wants power. Uh, there have been people parading across convention platforms the last two weeks telling you they want to be in power. There have been people that have paraded across platforms in both parties, and you think, why are they getting 15 minutes of fame? I mean, who are they? And you know what? Their whole life, they feel complete now. I've been on a national stage, and I got to speak for eight minutes and tell my story while I was reading a teleprompter with a vetted message that was approved by 50 other people. And I got to say my thing. And guess what? Most of us can't name three of them, and they met for three days. Each convention, three days, talked all day long, and most of us can't remember the name of anybody outside the top two candidates. Why? Because power doesn't satisfy only the power of God is important. There are people that want power, but there's three things about this power that, that Stephen had. First of all, he had the power to proclaim. Now, remember Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 said, You will receive power to be my witnesses. They had the power to proclaim. God gave Stephen. I don't know what his personality was, but he had the power to proclaim. Paget Wilkes says, we need to remember that the convicting power on the day of Pentecost was poured through no eloquent lips or magnificent discourse. It rather flowed along the new cut water courses of simple testimony. So, well, I don't know apologetics. I don't know what I'd do if I had to talk to a Mormon or a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Hindu. You know what you talk about? What Jesus did for you. You don't have to know the answers to everything they believe. Can I just give you a simple way to deal with that? When somebody says, well, my faith believes this, and you say, you know what? I don't know that I have an answer for that, but let me ask you something. Is that the one reason, the sole reason that in our conversation right now, you say, I can't give my life to Jesus Christ because of that? Because if it is, I will find the answer for you. And most of it you will find 99% of the times is a smoke screen. They're just trying to divert you and to get you off track. The power of the personal testimony cannot be diminished because what Christ did for you cannot be diminished. It's what God did in you. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So there's power for proclamation. Look at Acts chapter 7 and verse 51. Acts 7 and verse 51. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one. Those betrayers and murderers you have now become and you received the law as ordained by angels and you did not keep it. Now, just, just a thought here before we go to the next one. 
Religious people will always resist a person full of the power of the Holy Spirit because they resist God. They don't resist religion. They just resist God. And when they see a person full of God, they resist it because they know they have to make a decision. Now, there's a power of proclamation. There's a power to face persecution. The power to face persecution. By the way, it may be easier to express than it is to endure because of persecution. Let's pick up in Acts chapter 7 and verse 54. This scene happens at Stephen's gate, which is a gate in the old city of Jerusalem. It's a, it's a gate. It's also called the Lion's Gate. And you can go outside that gate. In fact, you can see bullet holes in that gate from where battles have been fought since Israel's become a nation in 1948, where they literally fought their way into the city through that gate down a narrow road where they had to, many of them were just being shot at mercilessly. But here, mercilessly, they drug Stephen outside the gate. Verse 54, and when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And witnesses laid their, aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who would become Paul. And they went on stoning Stephen. And as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. <laughs> I want you to look at that. I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now listen to me. We know from other scripture that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, his work of redemption done. But apparently, when somebody dies for Jesus, he stands. Now, I want you to use your sanctified imagination for a moment. Here's a man, a new Christian, a deacon waiting tables and keeping unity. And all of a sudden, he goes from a ministry to a moment, and he begins to preach out of the overflow of what he has learned sitting at the feet of his family, sitting and listening to the rabbis teach and listening to the apostles teach him about the life of Jesus and Jesus stands. Can I tell you something? Somewhere in heaven in my mind there is a Jesus who stands and applauds those who say, even if it costs me my life I will honor Jesus. He stood can you imagine that? That someone's life and testimony is so impressive to the Son of God that he stands up and he lets Stephen see him. He gets a crack, a portal, where he can look into eternity and know 
I'm headed there. There's one last thing, the power of prayer. The power of proclamation and then persecution and then the power of prayer. Verse 60, then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. You realize that Stephen saw Jesus and then he prayed like Jesus. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Don't hold this sin against them. He didn't shake his fist at the people that were throwing rocks at him and say, you're going to get it one day. He said, Father, forgive him. He was so intimate with Jesus that Christ let him see him and then he just let him fall asleep. Now, I don't know how to explain all of that. I do know this. God was with him in that moment. To the point where even when being beaten with rocks for his faith, he prayed for people that didn't deserve to be prayed for. Now, there's two things you can learn here. First of all, he encourages others to take a stand. When I read the story of Stephen, it encourages me to take a stand. To not be ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. It encourages me to take a stand. You realize when you speak a, a word in the name of Jesus, you encourage other people to take a stand. We're not all gifted as evangelists. We don't all have outgoing personalities, but we can do that which encourages other people to take a stand. Secondly, he influences generations to come. He influences generations to come. In the 20th century, more Christians were killed for their faith than all the other centuries. And that's hard to imagine considering the Roman persecution. But when you consider how many people that the Russians killed of their own people, 60 million people. Stalin killed 60 million of his own people. And you consider that the Chinese have killed over 100 million of their people. We live in a time when being the church is difficult. And it's going to become more so for us. John and Betty Stam were missionaries. They were martyred for their faith. Jim Elliott, the most famous one probably of the 20th century, was killed by the Aka Indians in the 1950s. My cousin Ralph, who was married to Linda, was driving down the road in Kenya in the early 1990s, and they were on their way to a mission point and they were stopped by bandits on the side of the road, and these bandits killed Linda with a hatchet, split her head wide open. She died a martyr's death. If you go to the offices at the IMB, you can see a list of our missionaries that have served as Southern Baptist missionaries around the world. You can see a list of them and their names listed who have died in the service of their king. This week, Shelly Jordan, 24 years a missionary in Jordan, was robbed and stabbed to death. She had already told her friends that when she retired from the IMB that she was going to stay in Jordan because of her love for the children that she was ministering to. Shortly after it happened, I got a text message from Tom Elephant, he said, you need to pray for us. 
we've lost one of our missionaries. But in my sanctified imagination, while that man raised that knife over that precious lady's life, single woman, I see Jesus standing up. I see Jesus standing and saying, I know what's happening to you. But your death will not be in vain. The saying goes that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And the church has never prospered in times of prosperity. It's always prospered in times of persecution. And so I want to challenge you this morning. Are you influencing another generation? Are you encouraging people to take a stand? Or are you influencing the people around you because you say, well, I just, I'm just not a world changer. I mean, that's an interesting story, and I've known that story all my life. And that's just really interesting. But can I tell you something? What you do matters. Who you touch matters. What happens in your home matters. You say, I'm just struggling to get along. We're struggling to pay bills. We're struggling to make a house payment. We're, we're struggling to keep our cars on the road. We're struggling to do all this. But can I tell you something? Those children that are under your roof, those grandchildren that are out away from you and you can't touch them, but you can pray for them, what you do for them matters. Those of you that teach in a public school system where God is being pushed out, when you're salt and light, you matter. In your business, when you love somebody with the love of Jesus, it matters. It's not insignificant. It's not wasted. It's not unnoticed. And God may not call us to be martyrs. We may not be called to shed our blood and to give our lives for the cause of Christ. But we are called to be world changers. We are called to make a difference. We are called to stand for Jesus. We are told to be filled with his spirit so that we can have his wisdom, so that we can have his power and faith and grace. Would you pray with me, please? I just want you just to remain seated for this time of invitation. In a moment, we'll sing, but this is going to be a little different invitation, so I want you to listen carefully. This is going to require a little thought here for a moment, okay? Parents, right now, are you willing to say to God, I want to be a world changer when it comes to raising my kids? May mean some adjustments, may mean some changes, it may mean you have to make some apologies. Maybe a readjusting of priorities.
but you want your kids to be world changers. You don't want them to be average. I'm not talking about intelligence or athletic ability. I'm just talking about influence. Listen, you don't have to be a gold medal Olympian to have influence. You can be somebody who can't walk and chew gum at the same time and have influence in a positive way if you're full of the Spirit of God. And there's not a person in this room that ought to walk out today thinking that you're anything but a person that God can use. If you settle for less than that, you've settled for too little. Don't waste your life trying to fit in. This world, this church, the kingdom of God needs world changers. Men and women and children and young people that decide to give their lives to making a difference with the gospel. Sunday school teacher, when you walk out of this room and you teach Sunday school, you, you need to remember something. You're talking to some people that could be world changers. And you're a world changer because you're teaching them. When you go to work tomorrow, you're going to go to work either as a compromiser or a world changer. You're going to be salt and light or it's going to be salt that's lost its flavor and darkness. So I just want to ask you right now, we're not, we're not going to do a come forward invitation this morning. I just want to ask you right now that before you leave this building this morning, if you've already been to Sunday school, before you leave this building this morning, that you either stay in the seat that you're in for a few moments when everybody else is leaving, or you come back in here before you leave this property. If you're single, you come back by yourself, or you come back with friends and say, Together, we're going to make a difference for the cause of Christ. But if you're family, then I'm going to ask you to just come together, either to sit down in here or come to this altar at some point before you leave this property today and draw a circle around you and say, Lord, we're not just going to be people that conform to this world, but we're going to be transformed and we're going to be transformers. We're going to be difference makers. We choose to follow you. We choose to obey you. We choose to listen to you. We choose to walk in the fullness of your spirit. We won't be perfect. We'll stumble. We'll blow it. But we're going to make a choice today to be a world changer, to be an influencer, and to impact generations to come. When you, when you go and work with those preschoolers that... They still need their diaper changed. Just remember, you could be changing the diaper of a child that's going to change the world. You don't know. God does. So I'm going to pray, and then Stephen's going to give a few words of announcements. And after he's given those words of announcements, we'll be dismissed. But I just want to ask you a simple question. This is kind of a no-brainer question. 
Are you ready to be a world changer? Do you want your life to count, to make a difference? Then quit letting the devil tell you you're nothing. Because if you're saved, you're a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You have been adopted into the family of God. You are an heir and a joint heir with Christ. And quit acting like you're a nobody. And quit letting people in your family or friends or enemies or the devil tell you that you're nobody. You're nothing. Because with Christ in you, you are what God sent Jesus to do. A redeemed human being bought with the blood of Christ to be his witness in this world. That is a world changer. Father, don't let us walk out of here believing lies. Help us to believe truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Stephen.